Okay, welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study. Uh, the Epistle to the Romans, Part 11. Let's begin in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this evening bringing us together. We thank you for those that are here, those that are on their way, those that couldn't make it, those that are hearing by uh, podcast, Lord. We thank you that your spirit here is to lead us, guide us uh, into this uh, study, provoke us to thought, uh, question, response, whatever is needed. Again, Holy Spirit, you are the divine teacher, and so we just lend ourselves to you. So, Lord, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our heart to receive what it is that you have for us this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was looking over uh, the children's study lesson from Sunday, and, you know, this is where we're kind of at in, in Romans when you look at it. You know, because remember, Romans is written to people who really don't know the Bible. Romans. They, they didn't know... The, the Bible, they didn't have the, the tradition of it, so the Bible reveals the character the nature of God, right? So when you're, when you're reading, you're, you're getting the character and the nature of God, which is theology. Who is God? What is he doing? But the Bible reveals it directly through statements, you know, like it says, God is love, those kind of things. And then also through the stories, reveals the nature of God and what God is doing, and those stories are also, uh, when you go into the Gospels, uh, the actions of, of, of Jesus, which was on this side, but I, I erased it. Um, but then it also says the Bible reveals the will of God. And this is what we're talking about here in Romans. We're talking about the character of God. We're talking about the will of God, God's plan for salvation. And this is kind of where we're at tonight, God's plan for right living, uh, because what we're going to be dealing with tonight at the top of your heading there, it says the responsibilities of the believer. What are we supposed to be doing now that we know this? Because again, theology, what is God doing? Uh, who is God? What is God doing? But where am I in relation to what God is doing? So that's this. What am I doing here based upon what God has revealed? Right? And uh, the Bible reveals also the Son of God in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. So, I'm just going to do chapter 13 of Romans tonight. So, almost line by line. Uh, So, chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Let every person be in subjection or submit your translations might say let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God now remember the first audience Romans they lived under uh, 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 Roman rule they lived under Caesar which is a generic title for a king Uh, they were told what to do uh, and now, so something different is being introduced to them. It says, "Let any person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God." Now, Roman Caesars, part of their title was "Son of God." They looked at themselves as God. So Paul has to make the distinguish. He had to distinguish for them the difference between the God of the Bible. And the God that 
you know, the the uh, the, the Caesar's follow, you know, which is uh, uh, um, all of that, uh, uh, um, you know, the multiple gods like Saturn and Zeus and you know all of that stuff. That's where all that stuff comes from. So there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. So in other words, he says God created all things, rules all things, and what he's saying here is that God established authority, he established government. So, you know, this is what people don't realize. It's like when you talk to an atheist, and they say they don't believe in God, and then you say, well, but you follow what God has said, and they say, no, no, I don't. And it's well, do you believe in government? And we'll say, yeah, well, government was established by God. They don't like that. When you tell them stuff like that, because they think that they live in a world outside of God where God is not interacting in their world, and yet everything that they do from waking up to going to sleep, God has ordained and God's in the, in the process, you know, with. Uh, so it says we're to be... In subjection or submit to higher authority. Now, the Greek word there for submit is hupotasso. And what it doesn't mean is that we are to submit no matter what. It's almost like you submit. Uh, it's, it's kind of like, it's the same word that's used where it says in the Bible where it says, you know, uh, wives submit to your husband. That doesn't mean going to pound you into it doesn't mean that you know it means to to submit to his his role his leadership there but it's based upon respect you know it's it's not a it's not a blind uh, uh, sort of uh, um, falling in line here you know because the purpose of government what's the purpose of government if I go a little farther if God ordained it, Grace has put the hammer down. No. <laughs> when it's the, some governments, yeah, but that's not God's purpose. When God ordained government, what was his purpose? Why did he do it? And he, and he did it during the law, you know, the, the law of Moses, you know, Ten Commandments and all that other stuff, right at that same time period. He came up with the moral law, the social law. He came up with civil government. So what's the purpose of civil government? Well, it gives law and order to have a maintain a peaceful and secure society. Leadership. Uh, yeah. Leadership. Yeah, it's uh, so that you would have leadership, so that you would have peace, uh, so that the people would be protected. I think the the number one function of government is to protect the people, right? That's why. We have all these different things that when they're working right or when they're working the way they should be, <coughs> when you look at it, it's to do what? It's to protect the people, right? <coughs> it's like it's like Phil, he's on, the, he's on the water board deal. And, and the whole purpose of that is so that we get clean, pure drinking water, you know, among other things, you know, because if he didn't have that, would be drinking pond water, you know, or whatever. So the purpose is to protect the people in, in, in that. But also it's to promote the welfare of the people, and it's also to punish those that do wrong. You know, so 
It's uh, uh, the purpose of government is not to lord over anyone. It's not to be overbearing, although that's what happens. And that happens because we have a sin nature. Right? It's like, don't mention any names, but have you ever known any people that they were nice until they got into a position of authority? And then all of a sudden they're a whole different person. You know, because now that, that, well, this is who I am, and I'm, you know, you have to understand that through a sin nature, that people now do things irresponsible. It's irresponsible because of the sin nature, because they now want to be, they want to lord over you. And we have one Lord, and one Savior, and that's God. And so, but government is, is to protect the people. So that's why it says here that every person be in subjection to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those who exist are established by God. So he says, you have, you have government. Government isn't inherently bad because it was created and established by God. So this goes to my motif of when people say, well, why is a pastor involved in city government? And I say, well, I think we should be. Not just as, as a pastor, but I think people of faith. We should be there. Why? Because we bring this element of right government, of right doing things rightly, you know, as opposed to somebody that does it because they have an ego and they want to lord over people. You know, that's that's the wrong reason. So, thoughts, questions, comments on that? Right there, because we're going to... This whole section 1 to 4 deals with government. Uh, verse 13, chapter 13, verse 2. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Government comes from God. So if we're resisting the authority that is there, we're resisting God. Now, this is a slippery slope because you could have bad leaders. And there's sometimes where we have to resist bad leaders. That's where wars start and, you know, all kinds of other things because we have bad leaders or, or whatever might happen and we have to resist that. But what we're talking about is the establishment of government because there are some people and they consider themselves Christians or they call themselves Christians that don't want any government. They say they're, they're Christians and they believe in God, and they say, oh, you know, I'm going to follow God's rule. Okay, that's great, but obviously they never read Romans. Or they're pushing it to the side. Because it says here, we are to obey, we are supposed to follow and not resist it. Because again, it's there for our protection. And then government will uh, take care, and is supposed to take care of those that do evil, uh, you know, through punishment, you know, and, and all of that. And, uh, uh, you know, we live in a day and age where a lot of that stuff is just falling to the wayside. You know, it's like, it's, it's get out of jail free card almost, you know. And so, but you have to go back to why do we have laws and why do we have a system that requires punishment if you break the law? You know, I mean, we live under that system because all have fallen short of the glory of God, God's laws, God's system, and the result is what? 
death. But God so loved us, he sent his only begotten son. We're still guilty, but Jesus pays the price for that. And if we submit to that, then the result is, and confess it, the result is salvation. So, uh, government comes from God. If you resist authority, you resist God. Now, a little side note. You don't have to turn to it. I'm going to read it, but write it down. I'm going to put it down there for you. Acts chapter 4. Let me read something to you from Acts chapter 4, verse 18. Now this is the very early church. This is, church is literally weeks old here at this point. Chapter 4, verse 18. It says, And when they summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you, rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. God bless you, bless you. And so the point here is that we do not follow that which opposes the will of God. This is what he's saying here. He says, you know, uh, uh, they're telling them, you can't preach in the name of Jesus. And basically they're saying, well, you know, you can judge that as you wish, but we're not going to stop. Because we're commanded by God to do this. And so this is something that the church has to take um, and understand. Going back to when this whole COVID thing hit and... and uh, churches closed up and some churches still haven't even begin the process of, of reopening some open gradually and you know we were we closed for I think like three weeks or something and then finally I just said we're going to be open for those who want to come and if they want to come find us let them do it because I based it on scripture I based it on fact that we are to assemble together and uh, we can take our own precautions if you needed to stay home stay home if you felt well enough to come, we'll social distance, we'll do what together. But, you know, I'm not in position to, to say, no, the church is closed. I don't get, I don't, that's not my call. God said it's open. And so my call is to, to, to keep it open, you know. And so you could say, okay, well, you could do it with, with online services only and this and that. But we're commanded by God to assemble together. You know, see, so we we have to filter these things, you know, through it, and then when we're going to get into it in a little bit here, but when you when you resist that, there's a way to do it, you know, that that doesn't come out being harmful. It could actually be therapeutic in how you resist. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, you can go back to Romans. Does that make sense? Or you have any comment on that? You know, because. Uh, there's other instances of that in the, in the Bible, but the, the point here is that we follow God, we're subject to God, we have authorities that we have to follow, but when the authorities are counter to what God says, we have to make a choice. And the choice is we have to follow God. And if authorities say something different, then it's our responsibility to appeal to them the right way to get them to understand why we're doing what we're doing. And this whole COVID thing, that really didn't happen. 
you know, it really didn't happen the way it, it should have. It, it could have. And uh, the church as a whole didn't really band together because I think the church as a whole, this is just Gospel of Steve, chapter 6, that we weren't really... <laughs> yeah, you you have it. It's, a, <laughs> uh, it's that we, we weren't prepared for this because we never expected this. Because it never happened before. Yeah. But now... If another virus or something should come on down, then we have, okay, this is what might happen again, so now we can be ready to handle it better. But it, it kind of came like a tsunami. Yeah. And it was like, wow, what do we do? You know, and the tsunami came and we all got washed off the shore, you know, and then we kind of drifted back and looked around and said, you know, what are we going to do now? And so, uh, you know, uh, but again, uh, as long as we're not opposing the will of God, we're on strong ground. Pastor, I yes. have a question. Doesn't our Constitution provide for the church to stay open? The Constitution says that the government shall make no laws yeah. governing the church, yeah. paraphrasing it. And so, in other words, technically, the government cannot tell the church what to do. Yeah. That's freedom of religion. And so they went around it a different way. They they used the health department. That's where the health department all of a sudden now became the ones who were making the rules, because they because it could be challenged constitutionally, and they didn't want to go through a, a, a constitutional challenge, so they did it through the health department, and that's why the health department got more authority than it should should have gotten. You know, not that they did everything wrong. I'm just saying authority that they had to open and close. You know. But the government, our constitution in our country was founded on religious freedom. And so because what was happening in Europe was that you were told um, if you grew up in England, you were, you were Anglican, Church of England. If you grew up in Germany, you were Lutheran. If you were in Scotland, you were Presbyterian. You know, if you were an Italian, you were Roman Catholic. And so it breaks down uh, farther to that, but you did not have a choice. And then some of the governments would actually now, in conjunction with the church, uh, control the people and or tell the church what they could do and what they couldn't do. And so this caused a lot of the fractions and a lot of the church splittings. That's why we have so many different denominations and things. Started in Europe, but then when it came over here with religious freedom, then anybody could start a church, right? So, you know, kind of good news, bad news there, because anybody can start a church. That doesn't mean it's theologically strong or correct. They applied for 501c3 and they got it. And now they call themselves... The church on the hill by the, by the valley on the way or the water and the duck and the moon. And so, you know, it's, it's a church, but it doesn't mean it's, it's solid. So, uh, but going back to religious freedom, that because coming over from Europe, uh, that was one of the big issues. People couldn't freely worship. If you were in England and you wanted to be a Lutheran or something else, you couldn't do it. You know, it was very strict. It was very, it was very hard. 
And so coming over here, it was the idea, well, if you want to be a Lutheran, you can be a Lutheran. You want to be a Presbyterian, you can do that. You want to be a Baptist, you can be a Baptist. You want to be, you can do that. And so in doing so, when they sat in the Constitution, the thing was that the government shall make no law. See, the separation of church and state doesn't mean that, that the church and state can't work together. It means the government can't tell the church what to do. And that gets, that gets twisted all the time. Because because people say, oh, separation of church and state, you can't, don't bring Jesus into this. That's not what it means. Because in the Senate, you guys ever been to Washington, D.C.? You been to the Senate? Did, did you see the prayer room? There's on, on the side of the Senate chamber, there's a prayer room, and there's a stained glass uh, um, window there with George Washington on his knees praying. I mean, come on. That's founding father stuff. Um, when you when you when you when you got a land grant back in the day, the reason architecture, especially back in the in the in the East Coast, has the high steeples with the cross on, on the top, is because when you got a land grant and you're gonna build a town, the first thing that you built was the church. And you built it on the highest part so that people all around could see it. Because not only was it the church, but that's where the local government met, was in the church. So much for separation of church and state. Until at some point they needed or they moved out and they now have the government buildings. But the early church filled that thing. So the history of our political thing was whether you're Democrat, Whig Party, or whatever it was, uh, Republican you wouldn't think of running for office if you were not a Christian. That's why Jews had a hard time breaking into into politics, and that's why when John Kennedy ran as a Catholic, he was like the second Catholic ever to run with a guy named Al Smith the first time. Um, it, was, it was such a big deal because people were afraid that his allegiance wasn't going to be to God, it was going to be to the Pope. So it was, it was a huge issue. Now, not so much because we're so far removed from that. But, I mean, you could see what it did for the country. You know, hopefully, you know, all those people, they weren't. But, you know, hopefully you would think all those people were solid Christians and believers. And, you know, that would put us on good footing. And so, uh, but yeah, there's no separation of church and state other than the the state government or the federal government can't tell us what to do. And we have to fight for that right. Because if we don't, then they'll do whatever they want to do. That's where we have to have a hermeneutic, which is a teaching uh, a hermeneutic, uh, to be able to confront when these things happen. So hopefully post-COVID we will develop that, the church as a whole, so that we can protect our, our our religious freedoms. So, good question. Any other questions on that? Okay. First three. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Authority and rulers. Ah. We're not to live in fear of them. We're supposed to you know, be in respect, but the idea is that authorities 
do set up government, they do set up laws, and if you break those laws, there's a penalty. And laws should be set up, again, to protect the people. Land rights, home ownership rights, um, you know, all kinds of different things like that. That's why certain laws were, were put together to protect the people. And if you break those, then you should fear the authority, right? And that's the problem today a lot of times is there's no fear of authority. I mean, look what happened to our educational building. They broke in, broke the windows, and then called the police on themselves. So that they would be taken into custody. They were uh, um, transients from Central America. And uh, they called so that they would be taken in. They would have a place to stay. They would have some food. And they would be out in a couple of days moving on. And the police said, this is what they're taught to do when they come over here. If you, if you, if worse comes to worse, commit some small crime, get caught, you'll have a place to stay, you'll have food, you can take a shower, you can get cleaned up, and then you'll be on your way. Problem with this one was, I don't know if they're, how long they're going to stay, stay in jail, problem with this one is the damage was over 2500 so it became a felony. So that, that kept him in there a little bit longer. I haven't heard what the outcome of all this is. Uh, but, but that's what's going on. So, you know. Um, but you should fear authority, not use the law that way. The law wasn't meant to be used that way. The law was meant to protect us, not give somebody a night's stay. I, I understand the, the problem, you know, and, and, and feel for them, you know, on a humanitarian level. But the other side is, you don't damage somebody's property to, you know, to benefit yourself. You should have a fear of government. And when you don't have that fear, then you you do whatever. Uh, verse 4. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For... It is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Again, what's the purpose of, gun, of, of government? Punishment of evil evildoers, because it's to protect the people so that we would live in, in, in safety. We don't want to live in fear that our property is going to be stolen or our homes are going to be broken into or all this other stuff. So... That's the spin there on government. Any thoughts, questions, comments on the government issue? It just seems these days that it's kind of going in the other direction. Yeah, quickly. You know, I mean, you got this Gascon clown mm -hmm. as our DA, and he's just letting everybody go or reducing their sentences. He's not working for his position. Positions carry out the law. Right. Yeah. To prosecute. Right, according to the law. And not protect the victims. Well, that got kind of switched around, so. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Well, we had a discussion on that in our city council meeting last night, and uh, um, because of that very reason, we're going to be uh, um, actually meeting with his office. Uh, sometime uh, early next week on all of this. And if it doesn't turn out good, then there will, something will be uh, 
written coming from the city of Lamarada. Anyway, another story. Uh, verse 5. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. You know, honor what God has instituted. You know, it's, 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 don't tremble in fear because there's laws. Realize God instituted those laws. He instituted government, moral laws, social laws, uh, uh, how we're to handle ourselves, how we're to protect ourselves. It, you know, you know, government isn't always bad. It's just when government runs amok and then does too much is where the problem is. Uh, you know, but again, when it stops protecting the people and it becomes something else, then that's where the, where the problem problem comes in. So, here we go. Here's a good one, verse 6. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. I put down on your little thing there, April 15th. <laughs> <laughs> pay your taxes why because that's what funds the government again if it gets too far and too out of whack taxes are too high too much government too much yeah 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 we can talk about this you know all day long but the point is that you know again there are some people that want no tax but if you have no tax you'll have no government you have to have something in place you know, so uh, uh, it's kind of like, you know, how do I do this without being political? Um, I think all of us would agree that you don't, in your private household, in your budget, you don't spend more money than you have. Because it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Right? So when the government does that, the government's not working right. Mm-hmm. Because you wouldn't do it in your home. It's like a church. If we spent way more than what we had coming in, we wouldn't last very long. Because you wouldn't be able to pay our bills. And so, you know, but, uh, you know, so be that as it may. Pay your taxes. Uh, uh, doesn't mean you can't resist in a positive way. <laughs> things that are being put on you. We'll talk about that in a second, I think. Verse 7, Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Which means reverence. Actually, the word fear, biblically, is reverence. It's 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 an old English word, fear, but it's better translated reverence. Because you know, when we think of fear, we think of, I'm, I'm afraid. Well, this is more of a reverence I'm afraid, but only because of reverence, because of the authority. It's like fear of God. Well, we shouldn't go around fearing God, but we should fear His judgment. Right? Because His judgments are based upon His laws. And if we're not saved, yeah, there's there's a fear there. So, uh, honor and respect... For those in authority as servants of the people, and hopefully that those that are in authority are servants of the people. That's, you know, the way it, it originally was, was set up, is that 
you are a, a public servant, right? You're serving the public. And in our country, of the people, by the people, for the people. So when the people aren't involved in that process, then we're off the pages of the Constitution, you know. So, But we still have to render to all what is due them. Tax to whom is tax due, custom to custom. Because he's talking to Romans who had were one of the first to really come up and really use the tax system. That was part of the reason that, that the Jews didn't like the Romans, because the Romans taxed them. And Matthew was a tax collector, by the way. And so, you know, then, then he gets saved. And now, you know, people looked at him as a little suspicious in the beginning, because it was like, you know, they did not like tax collectors. Because tax collectors back in that day, they could tax you a little more if they wanted to, and they could do a little moonlighting um, for themselves, you know, and you had to pay. And because if the tax collector would then say, uh, so-and-so over here didn't pay their tax, and he goes to the Roman authorities, the Roman authorities come and drag you off into jail because you didn't pay your taxes. They were going to listen to the tax gatherer, not the one who didn't pay. So... That's why tax collectors were, were not looked upon in, in high esteem. But to the gospel's credit, one of the first ones called was a tax collector. Because we're all sinners, we've all fallen short. And I'm not saying Matthew was a moonlighter, but he was a tax collector and he wasn't, he wasn't well liked by Jews. How did they determine how much a person was to be taxed? Was it just a per person tax yeah. flat rate? Yeah, okay. originally it was, a, it was a per person tax, but then where it says custom to custom here, then they started charging on goods that were being transported. And so that's where you know, duty and customs came in because it was a big port there. And so then they, they realized they could, they could charge for, for stuff that was coming in to be unloaded and, and all that stuff. And, uh, but yeah, originally tax started, it was, it was, Kind of the way the Jews do it today. If you're if you, if if you belong to a Jewish temple or a Jewish synagogue, there's more synagogues than, te- than temples, but it's the same sort of deal. Uh, they don't do tithing on a regular basis. At the end of the year, you get a you get a tax, and they base it upon your income. You tell them what your income is, and and then you get a bill. And then you, you you pay that at the end of the year. During the during the year, they no collections, but at the end of the year, you got that. And it's at the end of the year, so you can claim it on your taxes for the following year that you gave. You know, you're thinking. So, but that's where that thing came from. It was a, a personal tax on with the person. So, again, it's it's kind of like if you felt a person could pay more tax, you tax them more. So, you know, there wasn't any real standard of it until uh, later. And even even during the Middle Ages, because when you have kings, kings will raise and lower taxes based on whims and based on wars. They were always fighting war. There was something was going on. So when they were fighting a war, the tax went sky high. You know, or if, uh, you know, that king died off in his, you know, pacifistic brother came in and you know they weren't doing that and then maybe taxes went down or you got taken over by another another kingdom or something you know but yeah to answer your question it was individual 
kind kind of thing like that. wasn't wasn't on a standard flat scale, but that's the way it started. And uh, also, how would they keep a record of it? I could be here in this town, and I come across a tax collector, and he says, "Give me your money." So I give it to him, and then I travel forty miles to the next town. You give him a receipt. Oh, okay. You gotta, you gotta, and you had to carry that because a lot of times when they when they ask for papers, okay, your your tax thing better be in there too, because if they thought you weren't paying, you had to prove. You're paying taxes. Carry your 1040 with you. Yeah, you could carry your 1040 with you. Yeah, your 1099, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, you had to carry it. Yeah, you, you literally had to have that. And then you had to register in the town that you were born in. That's why when Jesus was born, you know, they had to come to Bethlehem because that's where his father was born. And so they had to come back there to register for the census. The census didn't go to them. You went to the census by going back to your town. And that did two things. It established the tax. And it also established how many uh, men were eligible for military service as well in, in countries. So the census was twofold there. How many people uh, were, How many people were now taxable? Because now once you became of a certain age, you had to pay tax. And then the other was uh, being able to serve in the, uh, in the military. Draft before the draft. Mm -hmm. Sort of deal. Good question. Any others? Good? Okay. Uh, verse 8. Now it's, it changes gears. We've been talking about government. Now it's going to talk about how you treat one another. Right? Verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor fulfills the law. So right there it's talking about how you deal with one another. So, if there's a dispute on something, and going back to our discussion about the church and the state telling us what to do, we still have to operate in love even, we're, even though we feel we're being oppressed or something's happening. We still have to respond in love. We still have to be careful how we push back because um, as I say this a little bit later in the, in the lesson but people are watching us as Christians once you say you're a Christian people watch you they want to see so as soon as you mess up they can go ah I thought you were a Christian ah I thought you were they're just waiting you know and so we have to be aware of that and so um, that's just part of the deal Owe nothing to anyone except, again, this is what you owe one another, to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law, right? God is love, and the law is based in love. In other words, government is based out of love, protection of the people, right? Verse 9. Uh, for this, and now he, now he goes into, it's interesting, he's going into the Ten Commandments, but look at the ones that he uses here. Verse 9, he says, For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Why these particular commandments? They involve somebody else. Yeah. And this is what he's talking about. Love one another. So he's using those commandments that are relational. Don't do this to somebody else. Right? He he doesn't use the one, you know, you shall have no other gods. Or or you you shall have no false idols. He doesn't use that to make his point here. He uses... He uses the commandments that are relational. So again, how we treat others. That's what those commandments are. They're there for us to uh, pay attention to how we treat others. And then verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. He kind of repeats what he says uh, in verse 8. So we're to love one another. And... To me, this is the answer to all the ills that are going on in this country right now. Racism. If we loved one another, there's no racism. Because you love one another, period. It's not qualified. See, let me say this about the Bible. The Bible does not break us down by race. It only identifies us as sinners and saved. That's how humanity is 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 is, is uh, qualified. Sinner or saved, we're not qualified by our race. You know, uh, God used the Jewish people to do something. But that didn't mean they were better than everybody else. And if you look at their story, it's like, I wouldn't want this story for my, you know, it's not not very good. And so, but again, if we understand this as Christians, if all Christians who supposedly make up the bulk of this country knew and understand this, that we are to love each other, period, and that God only looks upon us as sinners and saved, therefore we only look upon each other as sinners and saved, so that saved are our brothers and sisters, and the sinners are the ones we're preaching the gospel to, because we love them. I just fix the world. <laughs> right? Yep. But it has to be carried out. But I didn't come up with it. It's biblical. Right? Thoughts, questions? Make sense? Absolutely. Simple? It's not rocket science. Because there were no rockets when it was written. Can't be. See, we convolute it and make it more than what it should be. It's very simple. It's very plain. But if we just listen to what God says, love your neighbor as yourself, it's not qualified by anything. Love your neighbor as yourself. Self. End of story. Sinner saved. End of story. Hmm. Now the next part is about, it's relational, but it's talking about being ready for Christ's return. Because again, was he doing in Romans? Kind of theology 101. 
He's saying, this is who God is. This is what God has done. This is how salvation happens through Jesus Christ. This is uh, how we are to look upon the Jewish people and we're grafted in and they can be grafted back in. And God set up government and he did this and we're to love one another. And this is how we're supposed to treat each other. And then now get ready because Christ is going to return. So he's, these little parts in here. Verse 11. And this do. In other words, he didn't say, if you want to. He says, and this do, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. You know, Paul really shifts gears really fast. All of a sudden he just, you know, he goes from first gear into like sixth gear. And, you know, pedal to the metal here. He says, And this do, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. And sleep is a metaphor for death. Time for us to awaken from death. Uh, Awaken from death. For now, salvation, right, which keeps us from death, Translates us into life. Salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Wait a minute. Than when we believed. Salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Well, we believed in salvation when we believed. But he says now it's nearer to us. So what he's talking about, who brings salvation? Christ. And so what he's saying is, in in Paul's letters... Paul believed Jesus was going to return soon. Every generation has believed that they are the generation that's going to see the return of Christ. That's just, and we should look at it that way. Because if we don't, then we're not going to be prepared. So he says, remember, salvation is nearer than you think. What is salvation? Christ, he's returning. He says, nearer than when you first believed, because when you first believed, where was he? Seated at the right hand of God. But he's going to return. Uh, Let's see what else I want to say about it. So there's an urgency there. That's why with the gospel, there should be an urgency to pray and preach the gospel to whoever it is around you that you need to. Uh, because time's running out. There, it's the clock, and it is ticking. You know, uh, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. That you know, it's called you know the time of the Gentiles. You know, the ingathering of the Gentiles, and when that's done, uh, then Jesus returns. And so, you know, the clock is ticking. Only God knows uh, when the time runs out on that. Verse twelve says the night is almost gone and the day is at hand let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light darkness metaphor for evil for death light is a metaphor for life and you know the armor of god in christ you know he is returning you know paul is anticipating uh uh uh, Christ's return. So let us put on the armor of light, 
Why? Because we will meet him as saved, right? And we, we, we will have that wedding of the, uh, the bride and the groom. In verse 13, let us behave properly as the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. This is a stab at what was going on in Rome. This was the time of Nero and all that stuff, and it was just anything goes. You know, it's kind of like what you see coming out of Hollywood today and stuff is probably worse. It's that same kind of thing. No fear of God and just doing what you want to do and all this kind of stuff is, you know, running rampant. And so, so, it's, so it says to us, let us behave properly as in the day, light, because we are what? We are the light, right? We are to cast light on the darkness and what is the darkness? Not in carousing, drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity, sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Not in worldly actions, is what he's saying here. In other words, do the right thing as uh, um, we are called to do. Like it says here, God's plan for right living. Okay? is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do the right thing according to what God has called us to do. Not not in strife and, and jealousy and, and all these other things. You know, strife and jealousy is from, you know, you don't get what you want. You want something that you can't have and so now you fight and you do whatever you can and you 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 do all kinds of horrible things just to get what you want. Sort of thing. And then verse 14 it says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Bam. In other words, he says, clothe yourself in Christ, in the moral sense. But Paul uses this, this metaphor a lot. Put on the new self, right? Put on the armor of God. Put on the clothes of Christ, right? We're to wear it. We're to be it. Um, and it says, make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. You know, strife and jealousy and all this other stuff. Because remember, we're a three-part being. We have a mind. We have a spirit. Uh, we, have a, we have a body. And the body just wants a good time. Flesh. It wants Krispy Kreme donut. Whatever, it wants it 24-7. I had one yesterday. It was really good. <laughs> but if I had it today, now it would be, something else would be going on, right? But the point here is that, you know, the body wants that. It craves that. It, 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 it wants those pleasures. But again, any two of those that are in alignment, that's the way you're going to go. So if the body convinces the brain, hey, you can eat Krispy Kreme donuts every day and you'll be fine, you're going to do what? You're going to eat Krispy Kreme donuts every day because now your mind and your flesh is in agreement. Your spirit's out of the picture. But we're to renew our mind to what? So what God says, we are born again, our spirit. So if our mind and our spirit is together, the body, we don't follow the lusts and the desires. 
of the world, worldly things, because now our mind and our spirit is united. And that's, again, any two of those, that's the direction we're going to go. Go. So he says, clothe yourself in Christ. And I, I really like the metaphor because when you think about it, it's like when you get out of bed in the morning, you know, you got to put it on. You got to put Christ on because you don't know what you're going to face in the day. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know where you're going to be. You don't know who's going to cut you off on the freeway. You don't know what you're going to read in the newspaper. You don't know what's going to happen in the family. You don't know what your neighbor's going to be doing. Uh, you know, I just, you know, I think about those people out in, uh, was in Ontario where that guy had all that fireworks in his house and blew up the neighborhood. You know, I mean, you, you wake up and next thing you know, the house next to you is on fire and now your house is on fire because... Some guy's got a bunch of fireworks, and it's just, you know, if you don't put Christ on, you're not ready to face the day because there's going to be challenges, and we still have to face the day in love. We we still we still have to do that, you know, and and uh, even even when things aren't going our way. We do not have that scripture that says, if you're having a bad day, it's okay to act out. It's okay to fall on the ground to kick and scream. It's okay to act like a child and wail in the middle of the courtyard. It is fine and dandy to do these things because you deserve it. And God allows, no, that's not there. But sometimes we act like it is. You know, well, I wouldn't have done that if you wouldn't have. No. We still have to uh, put on the clothing of Christ because when you think about Christ, his ministry, he was walking slowly to Calvary, knowing what they were going to do to him. But what was he doing? He was healing, he was teaching, he was loving. He was preparing them. He was saying difficult things to sinners, not to push them away, but to draw them near. While he's walking to Calvary. You know, there's a, a, a guy by the name of, it's, it's not a fish, his name is Polycarp. And he was a, a first century theologian. Polycarp, P-O-L-Y Carp, C-A-R-P. You can Google him. Polycarp. He was one of the early martyrs of the church. And they picked him up and he wrote on the back of a, in the back of a, uh, not a paddy wagon, but on the back of a, a um, buggy or whatever it was that they were taking him off to Rome to kill him. He wrote some of the best first century, I think it was by the year 150, uh, things on God on his way to die. Polycarp. Knowing he was going to be martyred, knowing it wasn't going to be a... I think he was burned at the stake. I could be wrong. But knowing his death was going to be horrible, he wrote some of the most beautiful theological things about God on the back of that thing on his way. I think it was like a seven-day, eight-day journey uh, to do that. Another one was uh, um, oh, what was his name? The guy in World War Two. Um, Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer, yeah. something like 
Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Thank you. Next week you're going to be teaching the class. Okay. <laughs> you heard him. You heard him. He said, okay. <laughs> Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a uh, young theologian. He graduated uh, with a doctorate degree at the age of 21 in theology in, in Germany, pre-World War II. Uh, in about the year 38, 1938, they called him to the United States so he could preach at Union Seminary in uh, New York. And uh, he was there, and he was just a brilliant teacher, very young guy, a brilliant teacher, and and uh, wars breaking out, and this is when, you know, Poland's being attacked and all this stuff is going, and they were going to offer him a professorship there. And they said, you can stay here. It's going to be bad. It's going to be horrible. You can't go back um, there because it's not going to be good for Christians. And he says, I have to go back. You know, as a young man, he says, I have to go back. You know, in his, I'm called to go back there. And knowing full well that what was happening to Christianity was that you, either you, the SS came and they read your, or they gave you your sermon, and if you deviated from it, next day you wouldn't be seen again. You know, you were in jail or worse. So there, what came out of that was the underground church where people had to meet in secret. And so when he went back and they pleaded with him, don't go because you're going you're gonna to be persecuted, you're going to die. And he said, I have to go back. So he went back, became part of the underground church, and eventually he was captured and uh, he was put in jail. When he was in jail, I can't remember how long he was in jail. I said it was more than a year. But he was in jail and he, he wrote, like Polycarp, what was it called? I can't think of it right now, his, what he wrote. But he wrote some of the best theological uh, um, dissertations on God in the Bible without a Bible and without any references because he's in jail and he's, he's sneaking it out on, on bits of paper. And they compiled all these things because people were coming to, to see them and he was sneaking these, these little things out and, and he wrote this knowing he was in jail, knowing that something was going to happen to him probably. Well, right before the, the end of the war, I mean, literally weeks before the end of the war, Hitler knew it was over and, and all of this stuff. Uh, Hitler had him killed. Knowing, I think two weeks later, Hitler shot himself. And so, you know, that, that kind of evil. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer came up with the phrase, cheap grace. He says, most Christians live their life in cheap grace. You know, grace is God's unmerited favor. But it's like God gives us this grace, gives us salvation, and we don't do anything with it. You know, we, again, we devalue it. Because we don't, it, it's, it's, uh, it's currency. How much do you value what God has given you? You know, it's, 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 you know, some people will say, you know, I will, everything. Others will say, oh, well, you know, God's love and, you know, we're all going to heaven. You know, that's not putting a whole lot of value 
on God's grace. But he came up with that term, cheap grace. And it just resonates because what he was saying, it was a it was a shot at the church saying the church during this time should be fighting, should be standing up because we're in persecution, but we're living on cheap grace. You know, and then one last thing on, on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. They put the gallows up to hang him and he knew that he was going to be hung the next day. And they asked him, they said, shall we have a prayer vigil in one more church service? And, and, and Bonhoeffer said, no. He says, if we haven't done it by now, one more service isn't going to change anything. Good guy. So, um, thoughts, questions? The cost of discipleship. Was that huh? was it? The cost of discipleship. Yes, cost of discipleship. Thank, Thank you. <laughs> yes. Let's give Larry a round of applause. <laughs> he saved the day. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's good. You, you can actually, on uh, Amazon, you can get that. You might even be able to read some of it just straight up online. But it is just, and if you ever read it, realize it, it's being smuggled out. You know, when when theologians write papers today, you know, you've got cross-references and you're referencing this and you got the Bible. He did all of this stuff from memory. All of it from memory, scratching it out. And under pressure of jail, harsh conditions, and a death sentence. But he, i I got to get this out. I've, I've got to say this. And he went back knowing he could have had it cushy in the United States, but that would have been cheap grace to him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, wow. Uh, They made a movie about him. Um, It was okay, but, uh, you know, I think they need to make another one that's just much more deeper theologically. But they made a couple little movies on him. One's called just Bonhoeffer, I think. Was out about ten years ago. Anyway, thoughts, questions, comments, we good. So um, next week, back into Romans, and when we finish up Romans, I'm going to look at it and I'm going to see if, when we're done with Romans, if before we uh, break in the middle of June, see if I can fit uh, Ezekiel in there, and if I can, I'll, I'll, I'll put Ezekiel in there, and we'll go through Ezekiel because there's some good stuff in Ezekiel. Uh, that we can find. But uh, next week we'll be back in Romans chapter 14. So let's pray. Father, again, we just thank you, Lord, for your word that demonstrates who you are, your word that uh, uh, brings salvation to us through revelation of your Son. (sighs) Lord, But Father, we also thank you for uh, the illustrations Lord, in the Bible, who, for Paul and things that he went through and what he had to do and how he wrote to the church in Rome and what he had to say to them and for the martyrs like uh, Polycarp, Lord, and for, uh, you know, as we talked about, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Lord, people that put your word into practice, Lord, and, and, and uh, walk that way, Lord, that very few of us are, are called to walk. But, Lord, fortunately, uh, they did not shun uh, walking that way. And, Lord, their testimony stands as a monument 
uh, to who you are and to salvation, Lord, and stands out like a beacon for all of us. So, Lord, we just thank you as we leave this place, but not your presence. You continue to guide us and strengthen us and encourage us and heal us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. And men's meeting tomorrow at 7 o'clock in the evening.